Years ago, when Libby and I were planning for our wedding, uh, we, there was one thing that we really wanted to have happen the day of our wedding. Uh, at the celebration following our ceremony, we really wanted there to be an epic dance party. We both love to dance, and we were in really good company of the COTC community, the Church of the Cross community, at that time. Uh, we had attended lots of weddings of friends of ours who had gotten married in the Church of the Cross community, and it was guaranteed that if there was a, a big contingent of Church of the Cross people there at the wedding, that there was going to be some major rug cutting going on. <laughs> it was a sure thing. To ensure that, that our, our dance party would be truly great, we uh, decided to hire a live band uh, for that day. And at the advice of one of our musician friends, we actually decided to hire a band that wasn't marketed as a wedding band. As, as it turns out, if you put wedding in front of anything, wedding caterer, wedding band, it's usually twice as expensive and about half as good. So, so we followed this advice and we, we started talking with a number of bands in the area, just Boston bands that we thought would be great bands to play our wedding. And I was a little nervous though, because I, I figured that, okay, if a band isn't really set up to play a wedding, are they gonna bring the dance party? This is what I wanted to know. So as we engaged these bands, we asked a lot of questions. Uh, with the band that we eventually went with, we asked so many questions over so many weeks that the band leader actually got a bit exasperated uh, by the end. And he, he wrote me a long email and said, you know, we'd love to play your wedding, but it really doesn't seem like you're looking for us. <laughs> you're looking for a wedding band. And, and I assured him we had actually decided to go with this band. I assured, assured him quickly that we actually did want to hire them. We want to go with, go with you for our wedding band. And we signed on the dotted line and we're, we're going ahead. The day of the wedding came and it all came to fruition. The band played amazingly at the reception. We danced late into the night with our friends uh, it was a truly wonderful, amazing dance party. Following the big day, uh, the band leader wrote me an email. He followed up and he, he said this. He said this in the email. Thank you so much for inviting us to your wedding. We had a blast and you have great friends. You weren't kidding about the dancing. <laughs> dancing is in all caps. <laughs> For those who have ears, let them hear. The people of God got together to celebrate at a wedding feast, and they danced with such joy that someone looked on and said, wow, what an amazing dance. What is it about dancing? I recognize that not everyone here may, be, may love dancing as much as I do, but I think we can all agree that there is something about when a group of people get together and move to a common song, there's something about that that speaks to us on a really deep level. There's something beautiful about the common movement, uh, the common surrender to a song that, that down deep in our souls we, we say yes to. There's a reason that cultures the world over throughout history have all had forms of dance and why dancing actually appears at particularly pivotal societal and personal moments, moments like weddings. Uh, I would put to you that one of the reasons that this is true is that dancing actually connects with something that is really deep down in our God-given desire. And that, that deep down God-given desire is for connection. We have this 
this sense that we're like a light bulb sitting on the table. And we need to be plugged in to experience illumination. And, and dancing is one of these moments on a human level that we experience a kind of connection. And there's something that says yes in us. I would put to you that that yes is actually pointing us to a much greater connection. It suggests to us and to our hearts that there may actually be a great dance of connection at the heart of all things. A dance that we may join and truly come to life. In our gospel reading this morning that Anna just read for us from John 17, uh, the passage that's typically called Jesus' high priestly prayer, Jesus reveals to us just this dance. Jesus shows us, uh, along with the rest of the New Testament witness in this, in this chapter, that the God that we encounter, the God that we know and come into contact with, uh, is, not a, is not a static, statuesque being but is rather a being that flows with the dynamic dance of triunity. One God in three persons, caught up in a dynamic movement of begetting, sending, glorifying, and loving. I think, sadly for many of us, uh, the doctrine of the Trinity, when, when that phrase is even brought out, we, we go into a purely cerebral, propositional mode, right? We access this on the level of a doctrine, something I need to understand, something I need to prop, propositionally process. And this is sad because if, if the doctrine of the Trinity remains something that's purely up here, we actually miss the broad thrust of the New Testament's speaking about this reality at the heart of God. When I encounter a dance party, I am not faced with an academic question. There's a participatory question, right? Am I going to get involved? Am I going to move with the music of this dance? And this is the question I think that Jesus asks us or that Jesus actually prays to the Father that we would be swept up in, that we would join the movement that is at the heart of the universe. So this morning, we're going to consider the Trinity, but not from a participatory, uh, or sorry, not from a purely doctrinal perspective, but from a participatory one. Considering Jesus' prayer, we're going to see two dynamics of this dance and consider how we can join in. To enter any dance, uh, a good dancer will listen to the music, right? And we'll also pay attention to a dance if it's already in progress. You don't just throw yourself in, you, you join in with the movement as it already exists. And Jesus tells us in this passage that this dance has been going on since the beginning of time, right? His prayer that he prays to the Father is that he would enjoy the glory and love and that we would enjoy the glory and love of a dance that he has enjoyed with the Father since the beginning, since before the creation. So we need to pay attention, we need to look and see what is the character of the music, what is the character of the movement, how can we join in? When we pay attention, the first, the first movement of the music, the first movement of the dance that we notice is that it is centered on an other-centered glorification, right? It is, it is moving with the dance of other-centered glorification. Jesus prays this, speaking to the Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me 
in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. In chapter 16, directly preceding this prayer, Jesus has spoken of the Holy Spirit in exactly this same way. He, the Spirit, will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Do you hear the tune, right? The Father glorifies the Son. The Son glorifies the Father. The Spirit glorifies the Son and the Father. It's the beat of the music. It's the beat we need to hear if we're going to enter the dance. The Father points to the Son and says, look at the beauty of his cross. Look at the beauty of his resurrection. Look at his death. Look at his life. The Son points to the Father and says, my words are his words. My death is the death that he sent me to accomplish, right? The Spirit draws close to us and whispers to our hearts saying, look at the beauty of the Father and the Son. Enter the dance and know eternal life. The Father to the Son, the Son to the Father, the Spirit to the Father and Son. This is the dance that we're invited to enter. Jesus says as much very directly in John 8, chapter chapter 8, verse 50. Yet I do not seek my own glory, but there is one who seeks it. So how do we enter the dance? We learn the language of other-centered glorification. We learn to glorify God and not ourselves. It might sound simple, it might sound like, okay, Ryan, I've heard that a hundred times, a thousand times in church. Well, think about it. What does it really mean for your life to be swept up in the reality of the Trinity that is other-centered glorification? Not mine, not my glorification, but the glorification of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Bible's quite clear that in order to enter this dance of glorification, glorifying God, we have to actually begin with a grateful heart. A grateful, thankful heart is what issues out into this life of glorifying God. Consider, um, I think to get this grateful heart attitude, we need to consider the terms on which we're brought into the dance, into this relationship. This is not a relationship. The relationship of the triune Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is not a relationship where we actually belong, right? First and foremost, we're sinners. We're actually enemies of God, but we're brought into this relationship. Consider what Paul says. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You are brought into this relationship where your rightful place as an enemy of God should have been a slave, but you have been made a child. You have been made a son. You have been made a daughter. God in his grace brought us out of the cold night of our rebellion and he brought us into the family room. That's our place. And from, if we can grasp that, if we can know that, if we can actually understand that on a deep level in our lives, down in our bones, there is a way that our lives can then issue out in the reality of other-centered glorification, that we can glorify God from a grateful heart. We can say, don't look at me. I was an enemy. I was, I was one who opposed God. Look at him. Look at his cross. 
Look at the beauty there, the one who loved me even though I was an enemy, who went to the, the farthest extent of love that has ever been shown. Look at the father who welcomed me back, the one who made me, who brought me back into his arms. Look at the spirit who knew the true state of my sinful heart and made a home there. How amazing is that? How amazing is he who gave me life where I had death? How amazing is the one who welcomed you into the dance of eternal life? Come and enter the dance. Know eternal life. When we pick up this tune in our lives, when we practice this language of the Trinity to glorify God instead of ourselves, there's something that I think can happen. When this becomes our heart language, it can translate this vertical-centered, vertical reality of other-centered glorification can also become a horizontal reality of other-centered glorification. We can glorify, we can cast honor onto the dance of our fellow dancers in the body of Christ as well. Of course, this glorification horizontally is not imbued with the same worshipful character, right? We don't worship one another. But I think that this is very much in line with a lot of what the New Testament talks about. Paul says in Romans, outdo one another in showing honor, right? There is an other-centered glorification that can go this way as well, horizontally among us. There's no better moment, in my opinion, in a dance party than when everybody's caught up in the music and one person, just in exuberance, just they bust out a, a great move, right? You know this moment, someone just catches the spirit and they just move and they're big move, a silly move, an exuberant move, an awesome move. And everybody sees it and they all go, hey, <laughs> you know? That's, you all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Other-centered glorification, right? We, we look and we see and we enjoy the beauty of someone else's movement in the song and we say, look at that. That's beautiful. That's good. What would it mean to be in a community, to exist in a life in this body, in the church, in Church of the Cross, where we strive to outdo one another in showing honor, where we intentionally cultivate a posture of noticing, of looking and saying, look at that, look at that beauty of gifting, look at that beauty of service, look how God has gifted another. What would it mean for us to recognize those things and say them to one another, to encourage one another, to fan into flame the gift of God? What would it mean for our worship to be imbued with the reality of saying, I worship God because my brothers and sisters have been gifted, and I worship you, Lord, for their gifting. Thank you. If we're going to do this, uh, we need to recognize that there is a countercurrent in our culture, uh, a countercurrent in, in the culture of our brokenness, and I think specifically here in Boston, the song and the dance of the triune God is, is not the only song and dance in our world, right? There is a discordant melody. There is a dance of darkness as well. 
And that dance of darkness, one of its manifestations is self-centered glorification, whose companion is the criticism of others. If we're honest, we know that to some measure, we have all been caught up in this tune. On some level, all of our hearts, my heart, your heart, every person's heart, has been caught up in the dance that says, look at me. And as a companion to that, you know, don't look at them so much. I'm going to pull them down. In, in the church, we know that rank criticism, direct aggressive criticism is not the virtue we're going for. But I think that it can actually masquerade. We can deceive ourselves in the body of Christ by convincing ourselves that we're not, we're not being critical. We're, we're using discernment. I'm discerning errors. I'm discerning faults. I'm discerning places where we can grow, where people can grow. And, and we can deceive ourselves that our criticism is not, is not dancing to the other tune, but is, is actually part of my service to God and others. The diagnostic is that in, in the Bible, discernment, the discernment that we are called to in the body of Christ is always used for the upbuilding of the body, is always used to raise up and build up others. When the mask gets taken off our, our dark criticism, what we find there is actually, right, the desire to lower the other, to bring them down, to take a little bit more of the spotlight off of them and onto us, to make their gifts and, and talents seem a little less so that mine seem a little better. I think the Pharisees get taken to task by Jesus for just this set of sins, actually. He called them whitewashed tombs, right? On the outside, they were all about giving glory to God, even honoring others, right? It's often from the Pharisees that Jesus will get called teacher or, you know, respected in that way. But then off in their little huddle, right, what we see is that criticism and, and anger is, is, is really rife. It's what their true heart condition was, and so it's what dictated their actions. One of the prayers in our Anglican Book of Common Prayer for evening prayer says this, and we pray, give us such an awareness of your grace, right, gratitude, that with truly thankful hearts, we may show forth your praise, not only with our lips, but in our lives. So it's from this vantage point, confronting the darkness of our critical hearts, that we can actually see that the dance of other-centered glorification, right? There's a companion to it. There's another side of the coin. We can be people who glorify God with our lips, honor one another with our lips, but actually do the opposite with our lives. And so the other side of this coin that we see in the dance of the triune life is the dance of surrender, is the dance of obedience, right? This is what we see in Jesus' life. Jesus does not just praise God with his, with his mouth, right? He backs that up, the rubber hits the road, and he surrenders his life to the will of the Father. Not my will, but yours be done. This is the dynamic of the Trinitarian life. The Son surrenders and is sent by the Father. The Spirit obeys and is sent by the Father and Son. And it's only in this obedience 
as Jesus willingly surrenders his life, that we can see the rubber hit the road of his other-centered glorification. What does it mean if I glorify God if I'm not willing to obey God? If we're going to dance in this dance, if we're going to dance with the triune, within the triune life, we must see that this dance, this song, is not our choice. It's not of our choosing. We don't pick its movements. Jesus says in, earlier in John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. Right? His commandments dictate the dance. The dance of the Trinity is a surrender in every part of our lives. He who has my commandments, all of them, not just has them, but keeps them, not just knows them, but does them. This is what it means to dance in the dance, to surrender our lives to God's way. Can we say with the psalmist, blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as, in, as much as in all riches. If we don't desire the commandments, if we don't desire the wisdom of God, what does it really mean that we give God honor and praise? If we don't, aren't willing to be brought into greater and greater conformity with his will, then how can we actually remain in step with his tune? Now, I don't want you to mishear me. What I'm not saying is that in order to be part of this Trinitarian life, this Trinitarian dance, our lives have to be perfect. That is not what I'm saying. But if we are in open rebellion in our lives, if we know that God has told us in his wisdom to not go this way, to avoid this way of being, and we have flouted his commandments with a kind of high-handed rebellion, we are not dancing in his dance. By contrast, hear this, if we know that we have sin and we don't lie to ourselves, but instead we listen to the voice of the Spirit, we listen to that voice that convicts us and tells us to run to the Father and turning from our ways, we run by the blood of the Son into the gracious arms of the Father, then we are truly dancing. A dance student who can't get the moves but is listening to the voice of the instructor and trying time and time again to get the move right is a world away from the student who cannot do the moves because they have shunned the voice of the instructor and walked out of the room. We might have to run to the Father's arms over and over again, grieving the same sins, but rest assured, he is teaching us the dance of surrender. It's not an easy dance to learn, but you're learning it in his arms. It's only in his arms that we can first learn to dance. Having extolled the beauty of dancing, probably comes as no surprise to you that dancing does occur in the roughing home from time to time. We turn up the music loud and we take a spin around the living room. Silas, my two-year-old son, my two-and-a-half-year-old son, um, 
He loves dancing. He's exuberant about it. But there's only one way that he'll dance right now at this stage in his life, and that is while being held. <laughs> it's a really good arm workout. <laughs> he loves to spin and to bounce, but he doesn't yet spin and bounce on his own two legs. We don't always dance to worship music, but lately there's a song, uh, a worship song that we do here at Church of the Cross that we have, uh, we've been dancing to a lot. The song, His Mercy is More. And when I put that song on, the melody kicks in, the beat kicks in, Silas from wherever he is in our apartment will come running to me. Comes running to his father and he throws his arms up and he says with confidence, up with you. And I scoop him up, and we bounce, and we spin around the room, and he laughs. We raise our arms, and we sing, praise the Lord. His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, and new every morn. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. I sing confidently, but Silas is learning this song. I dance, but he is learning the beat. He is taking in the movements. Your father, who loves you, wants to hold you in his arms. He wants to spin you around the room. He wants to hear you laugh. Do you know that you have an invitation to this dance? Do you know that you're welcome there? Do you know that the Spirit says, come and enjoy the dance of eternal life? Come by the blood of the Son into the arms of the Father where you can truly come to life. The Spirit invites you, the Son is made away, the Father is ready, he is already singing his song of mercy over you. Let us enter the dance, let us know eternal life.